Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. All right. Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Oh, wow. Some wires up here. Be careful. So, yes, my hair is still blonde. All right. Still here. I realized, uh, you know, I'm just waiting for all of you guys to repent. And then I'll probably cut it, honestly, because you guys are still failing the love test. Uh, people are getting really comfortable disrespecting me. It's actually getting worse uh, the longer I have it. So maybe just to continue to shame everybody, I'm just going to leave my hair blonde for as long as possible. But uh, my wife said it's growing on her, so I don't know. No, I'm definitely going to cut it at some point here. So I'm excited to talk today about lordship. Uh, it's lordship in the kingdom of another place. I realize as I'm studying this out, it just never ends. Uh, we could just keep talking about it and keep talking about it every week. And so I have a lot uh, that I want to share today. I'm probably going to nerd out uh, just for the first maybe 20% of this thing, and then we're going to get more specific, okay? So I'm, I'm a nerd, undercover nerd as well. So for those of you in the room that really like digging into stuff, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're going to enjoy that. And if, if you're not into that, uh, you'll hopefully like the second half, <laughs> or you'll let me know, right? So... We had an amazing uh, retreat recently, so I just got to mention that. That was awesome. And it was staff, and it was the leadership team, and the board. And uh, some things happened on the ping pong table. You can ask Ralph about those things, or Dennis, or Joel, or any, anybody else down there. But other than that, I want to let you know that we are all in really good hands. Um, everybody just has a, a very strong sense of ownership in this church. And really want to do right by God and do everything they can uh, to make sure that we are shepherding and moving the church in a direction that would glorify God uh, with all of you in mind as well. So uh, I'm just really encouraged to be a part of the Southern Connecticut family. All right, let's get into this. I'm excited. I'm so excited to talk about this. So, you know, lordship, it can be uncomfortable at times. Uh, Keep that in mind. But remember, like we talked about last week, that uh, a lot of the, this is for our good. This is for our freedom. This is for us ultimately. God's God does not need it need our lordship to make Himself more valuable. He's already God. So this is for this is for us. And so I just want to re. That's uh, not the recap there. We'll get to that in a second. But just a recap for you. Uh, things we talked about last week, and anything we we don't get to really expound on today, we do have midweek this week. So the plan is that we're going we're to be able to digest this more uh, during midweek. But we talked about how it's worth it. It's for our benefit to have Jesus as Lord. The name Lord represents, in part, Jesus' covenant relationship with his people, us, and our commitment to follow and obey him. There is this paradox in lordship because it's in our submission to this lordship that we're actually free, uh, which is an interesting paradox there. Uh, Jesus does not need him. Many people in life need us to some degree to find a sense of identity in themselves. Jesus, that is not the case at all. He does not need us in any way, philosophically or otherwise. Um, so we can trust him that he's, when he wants to add value to our lives, when he wants to save us, uh, that it's for real. And 
in us proclaiming the lordship of Jesus, we are validated by the Father. And then we can also then extend love free from an agenda to one another. And lordship ultimately saves us. And this idea of easy believism, uh, intellectual assent to, yeah, there's a God, that does not save us. So there's two kingdoms, contrary to what might be said. There's only two kingdoms. There's only two options. And there's the kingdom of God, and there's anything else. But it's really the kingdom of this world, right? It's, it's how this world navigates, right? Satan has his kingdom. This world has it. That's, that's everything other than the kingdom of God. Now, the way your specific kingdom looks, if it's not of God, it, that takes on different shapes and forms, like, because it depends on what you value. It depends on where you find your sense of value. It depends on what currency you exchange to grow in your kingdom, right? So, there's, so, so that can depend. But there is only two kingdoms. And in John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So he's saying that, What's going like, to happen to me, the fact no one's fighting, the fact no one gets this, it proves the point that his kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't operate the way we would expect a kingdom to work in this world. It's, not, it's from another place, right? The kingdom of God is from another place. And we're going to talk about this other place. And if you want to be a participant in this other place and, 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 and proclaim Jesus being Lord as well. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So this rules out anything else other than Jesus that says you will be saved by this name. Right? So this comes back to this idea of lordship and name. And it's through the name of Jesus. That's the only way to access eternal life, a kingdom of God that begins here and never ends. All right, it's only through the name of Jesus. And I want don't be deceived, okay? There's there's only two. There's only two kingdoms. There's no other kingdom. It's kingdom of God through Jesus or it's everything else. It doesn't matter. It's it's Satan, it's it's demonic, it's of the world. It's going to kill you. It's going to rob, steal and destroy. Like it's if if you feel exhausted and tired all the time, like these are these are sometimes Symptoms are the results of what it feels like to serve this other kingdom, right, that, 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 that just demands of us but gives us nothing. And I'm sure a lot of you feel that sometimes. I know I do. I feel that a lot. Like, what is going on? This, this easy yoke thing, you know, this sacrifice, or, and even what Garth was sharing, this idea of when to push, when to not push. It, it, wait, is it really an easy burden? And then, and then Satan can get in there and make you think, well, maybe following Jesus is not. It's really a heavy burden, you know? And I just think we're doing life wrong. And I think a lot of times we're even we're following the Bible wrong and the lordship. I'm not, I'm not saying we have the fundamental principles of Christianity, and it, it is, and we're going to talk about that. And, and, and there is a guarantee of salvation, and that is awesome. But there, there might be some aspects in the Bible and in your lordship that perhaps you've overlooked that are actually keys to you feeling more relief rather than maybe going back to the same ones. We do need to go back a lot. That's why Jesus was and God are always reminding people. But I hope today maybe even thinking about what are some other areas? What are the core areas? We're going to talk about those. And then what are some other possibilities where maybe I haven't really thought a whole lot about that? 
But don't be deceived. Your career will not save your soul. Your relationship will not save your soul. Your philosophy won't save your soul. Nothing can save your soul other than Jesus and participating in his kingdom. That's it. So I was talking to Lamisha on the car ride here. I was like, you know, we call this kingdom of heaven the upside down kingdom. I was like, why are they upside down? Why aren't we upside down? Like, isn't it, aren't we the ones that got it backwards? Like, that's the true kingdom. And it seems like over here is the upside down world. I'm like, this place is awful sometimes, right? You know, this is terrible. This is upside down here. And maybe there's, a, maybe there's something I just don't know. So, But I'm going sh- to share some aspects of the upside down kingdom or right side up. But basically God's kingdom. Here's some aspects uh, of it. It is here and it's available to all. doesn't discriminate. All right. By the way, all these notes are on our app in the um, first tile. So you can access them there if you need them. So it's here. It's available to all. In this kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. That's also automatically very different from the world, right? Like very different. Like everything in the world is be first, be first, be first. Like it's, it's about winning. And, and this says it's actually about losing. And not even to win. It's just to lose. Like that's, that we're, we're supposed to be last. And in being last, there is, there is a reward for that. That, that changes, that just, autom- that, you, you know, if, if that was really on our minds at all times, I mean, how different could everything be? But we're not even done yet. So the kingdom is concurrent yet invisible. So it exists right now. And, it's, and we're running parallel. All right? So we have ours, this, this world, this temporal place that exists, right? And then you have the kingdom of God that's also, it exists right now. The kingdom of God. It is invisible, though. The kingdom of God is invisible. But make no mistake, it is real. Just because something's invisible doesn't mean it's not real. I mean, you believe in gravity, right? No one's gonna, you're not going to just jump out and expect that it's going to go well unless you're, you know, like my son, you know, he's three years old. He might jump and think gravity suspends in those moments. But we know that although it's invisible, gravity is real. It's just, the kingdom of God is real is real. And just because you may not be able to see it, it is real. You can't see your own brain, all right? Teen, you believe in your brain though, right? Like, we believe in so many things that we can't see. So the kingdom of God is absolutely there. It's just invisible. The kingdom is eternal. It exists uh, forever. Um, we have the, the king leads through service and love. Very different than the kingdoms of the world, right? This idea that the king leads through service and love, right? Uh, we have the, all are welcome in this kingdom, amen to that. There's a radical new ethic in this kingdom, and you can see that in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Like, you can see all the different aspects of what it looks like to be a part of this kingdom. What is your average kind of citizen? What's their, what's their code of conduct, so to speak? And what what is it that makes this kingdom special? And, you know, loving your enemies, like, okay, immediately, like, all right, it's already different, you know? Like, when we, even when we sometimes have conversations about loving our enemies, sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, just, you got to kind of, you know, try to, you know, try to say, hey, maybe, you know, when you see them. But are you loving them? Right? I'm not talking about a situation where you're just like self-harming. I'm saying like in your run of the mill, this person made me mad, whatever. I mean, anybody that you may consider an enemy right now, like can you say you love them? 
right? Because that, that's, that is a core aspect of being a member in this kingdom. Once again, this might feel burdensome or heavy, but it's for your benefit. Anything you hold on to, I mean, I don't need to tell you, but there's tons of research about unforgiveness and what it does to our mental health, right? But we don't necessarily need that all the time. We shouldn't to be able to just follow the word of God. When you find it, when you really find the kingdom, like, and, and get it, it's, it's, it's deeper than finding. It's like when you can see it, when you can, like, your eyes are open, it's like, oh, I'm living in this, like, this is fake. This is, this is crazy. And there's another thing. There's a, there's a kingdom out there that offers me something completely different than what I have. When, when those lights turn on, it changes everything. When I fell in love with my wife, right, so, like, driving to New York in snowstorms did not feel like work for me because my eyes were open. This is an amazing woman. I want to marry her. I want to be with her. I'm not like grumbling in the car, like, oh, I got to drive to New York in the snow. I'm like, yeah, let me get there. I'm bumping music. And it's, it's fun. I'm excited. It's because my eyes were open to the reality, right? So if we talk about repentance or lordship or obedience, and you don't actually have a sense of like, this is really special, this is different, then it just feels like rules for you. Right, just gonna feel like laws for you. You have to really get that this is totally different and it's very, very real. It's very real. And when we think it's not for real, like ah, I heard this sermon before, you know, ah, da da da, like this ain't really working for me, why well, I still feel stressed. It's because you have to repent in some way. Like there's something about the way you're following Jesus that is destroying your soul, and it's not actually following Jesus right? Because he wants well-being, right? So like these are opportunities to really think and reflect on some of those things. And I hope we can today. Uh, yeah, and we're, gonna, we're definitely going to need these midweeks to digest. So please come. I'm going to throw up a flyer soon. So in Joel 2, I said Joel. <laughs> My bro Joel, yes. And Joel, uh, you know, in Joel 2.32, just, just remember this. It says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in, heaven, in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So you see that term, right? And I know I read the full thing, but, you know, it's too many words, so I didn't put it on there. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? As a proof text existing by itself, it's like we can make a lot of that, right? And I want to I I really help us understand, as I talked about last week that I said I was going to talk about this week, is like, when do we do that? When you call on the name of the Lord, how does that happen? And it's important for us to know, right, because there's a salvation. <laughs> salvation is at stake with this thing, it says, right? It says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? So, and, and we know this passage. It's, it's a passage many of us know in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So calling on the name of the Lord, entry into the kingdom, and Christian conversion, Christian conduct, these things all go hand in hand. Right, they all come together. They all culminate 
And it's not necessarily something I always think like, it's, like, it's not like studying for a test, like you're going to have to memorize these things. It's a process of God working with you, helping you to get it. And, and, it, and it just begins to kind of come together and making sense. And, um, but I do want to explain it because your faith and your belief in these things should be based on the Bible, not based on some guy that just has a microphone. I mean, you don't know. Like some of you guys, a lot of you guys know me, but if you're visiting, you might not know if I'm like, should I have this microphone, right? So we're going to read scriptures about this topic. So we're going to talk about conversion and lordship. How, how does a person, right, entering this, this other kingdom, so there exists this other kingdom. We know that. So how does a person pass from this temporal kingdom to this eternal kingdom, you might wonder? And many people in the Bible wondered the same thing. So I'm just going to start by saying it would not be possible without Jesus, the cross, and forgiveness. It's not possible at all, at all. But I want to talk about some of the mechanics of this that Jesus also explains, all right? So in John chapter uh, Yes, there you go. There's a question. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. This is a conversation between Jesus and, this, and, and somebody named Nicodemus. He was an amazing person. He knew the Jewish law, um, and, uh, but he didn't want to be seen with Jesus publicly, so he goes to Jesus at nighttime, and he, he, he's inquisitive. He's asking this, the teacher questions, right? So he recognizes Jesus as a teacher in private but not in public, but that's another, uh, I guess, sermon for another day. But Jesus, in verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So you know, you've heard that term born again Christian? There's actually no other type of Christian. There's no other type of Christian other than a born again Christian, right? It's, I know that that term takes on a whole different, you know, context. But he's saying, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then he asks, how can someone be born? When they're old, that's a, that's a normal question. Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And I don't know if he was joking or, or what exactly, because written is hard, you know, but it's an interesting question. And verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. So you see, okay, entering the kingdom of God involves some sort of re- rebirth, Right, which is kind of hard to understand if, in a, from a temporal kingdom sense, because how can you go and be born again and da da da? Right. So then, so then, and then, and then Jesus clarifies: there's some aspect of being reborn with water and spirit. So the being born again is 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 a reorientation, and this echoes the sentiments of Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, where God promises to put a new heart and a new spirit in all of us. Right. And this reorientation also involves renouncing your lordship. So I'm no longer, you're no longer my master, basically, to whatever has mastery over you. You, You're renouncing it. You're saying, no, I'm not following you anymore. I'm not with that. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm renouncing that, anything that has that place of God in your life, and I'm choosing to place my allegiance in Jesus as the, the king of this kingdom. And what might that look like, you ask, this, this reorientation piece, right? What might that look like? And I'll say this. You cannot, I cannot say it is the same thing for everybody. And I don't think anybody should say it's going to look exactly the same for everybody. I think how your reorientation looks depends on where you're at. 
right? Like the reorientation of somebody who commits crimes every day versus like somebody who's dedicated their life to public service or something, they're going to look different. Like if the guy stops committing crimes and starts like maybe starts a nonprofit for anti-crime, you would say that's a great reorientation. Now, if you have somebody devoted to public service that reorients, that might, they might still have their job. They might, maybe they stop skimming off the top, whatever. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to say everybody does, but we see the news sometimes. But it depends on where you're at, basically. So what your repentance might look like depends on where you are. And so you have these examples of reorientation in the Bible and different people that after an interaction with Jesus, their lives changed radically. Like the reorientation happened. I'm sorry about the uh, yellow that I couldn't change that in the editing. But we have these four different people. We have the rich young ruler, right? His reorientation or, or, or just letting go of his allegiance was to money and wealth. That was his thing, right? And then we have Zacchaeus. His was a shady business dealings, right? So, because he talks about how, yeah, if I cheated anybody, if you cheated anybody out of money, like, why did you even bring it up then, you know? And then, and then we're gonna read that in a second. You have the woman at the well. It was a reorientation about the way she approached relationships. We have Nicodemus. His was a, a doctrinal reorientation. We just read uh, about some of that conversation that he had to kind of find out where his doctrine was off, right? Where, where he was missing in his, in his doctrine, his approach to the kingdom of God. So we're going to read about Zacchaeus, and uh, this is in Luke 19 and 1 through 10. Says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw him and began to mutter. He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if, and if, I, cheat, if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus got it. Right? You could see that reorientation. No one is just willing to sell half their possessions unless there's something that happened, right? Like, would you, like would you, if I just said, hey, I, you know, you're down to sell your, half your possessions for me? You'd be like, what? Shut up. Like, what are you talking about? The teams would be like, get out of here. Like, sell your Jordans? What? Why? Right? But you only do stuff like this if you, it, it clicks. Like, you get it. Like, this, stuff is, this doesn't matter. This is meaningless. There's an, this is, I'm comparing this to an eternal kingdom, really? Like, this is going to rob me of my opportunity for a life with Jesus? No way. No way. Because anything that is temporary in the light of eternal is absolutely insignificant. Like, even mathematically, numbers do not exist when you look at infinity, every number becomes mathematically insignificant, and so does everything we have here. Like, because we're talking about eternity. That doesn't mean things here do not matter. They absolutely matter, and they do matter in terms of eternity. But the things that maybe you're holding on to, or the things that maybe you find so important and that you fight over and you fight about and you get angry about, that's, that's insignificant 
Don't let it be the reason that you're not able to walk with God and be in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. He got it. Now, did he need to pay back all this money from a scriptural standpoint? Did the Pharisees go and say, hey, or did, or did somebody or teacher of the law that became a Christian say, hey, you know, here's what we're going to do now. Here's the scripture. I mean, did he need to do everything that he did, right? Did somebody sit him down and say, you know, this is what we got to do. So <laughs> I actually looked this up. Was there something? So there is, but hang in there with me. So in Exodus 22, verse 1, you are supposed to pay back four times the amount in specific offenses. And this was in the theft of an ox or a sheep. And you can say, well, Pat, I can see how he maybe, you know, he he thought it was a theft. Okay, all right, so maybe there was a direct teaching. But where does it say sell half your possessions and give it to the poor? And who, and he connected those dots between the four times thing. Like he had a spirit of, I want to make it right. I'm not looking for the letter of the law. How can I sneak out of this? He wanted to make it right, and he was willing to do everything he could. Because, but it, it came from understanding first. And without that first piece, it just seems like you're in slavery once again. People telling you to sell half your stuff. You know, people telling you to, you know, pay four times. Like, that seems arbitrary. And we're like, what? No, I'm not doing that. So you have to first get it, like how special this other kingdom is, right? And when you get it, it changes everything that we get to be a part of it. It changes your day-to-day decisions. It changes your value system. It changes how you view money, relationships, possessions, power, greed, how you view winning, how you view victory. So Pat, as you might be saying now, so Pat, you still didn't answer the question, and we're getting deep into the sermon. When do we call on the name of the Lord? You know, and at what moment does someone pass from this temporal kingdom into the eternal one? So we are going to read this passage, it's Acts 2. I had to chop it up just for the sake of everybody, but I do suggest reading the entire chapter of Acts chapter 2. So in verse 16, this is, this is the come, this powerful moment. Prophecies have talked about this moment, and this was at Pentecost. And Peter, who Garth shared, was given the keys to opening up the kingdom right, is the person that's delivering this message. And in Acts 2.16, says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. <laughs> Not Joel, Joel. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? There you go. There you have that term again. Now check it out. Check out what happens, where this happens, when this happens, okay? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's that conviction piece reorientation. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's a great sense of humility. What do we do now, right? Here's the answer in verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. If you wanted something as a, in terms of, okay, that's like a doctrine, that's a theology. If you want to see it more in practice and God himself and, and, and this interaction between Paul and Jesus, this is awesome. In Acts 22, 14 through 16, Paul is sharing how he became a Christian. And it says, then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will. This is what uh, the Lord said to Paul, to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Doing what? Calling on his name. 
right? So these things come together. There's a culmination where the door of the kingdom is open, and you see the very things that we've been talking about as we read Joel, as we read Joel and as we looked at some of these things, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, calling on the name of the Lord, right? Renouncing allegiances, reorientation and repentance, right? You see the born of water and spirit. We read about that in John 3. Do you see water in this? Do we see spirit in this? It says being baptized, and it says you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? All of these keys to this are there. And yeah, born of spirit. I was going to put Peter opening the door for the kingdom. So basically all these things come together. This is a culminating moment, right, of where everything happens. And I hope that helps to understand. And I don't necessarily expect everybody to be like, yeah, that's right. Like, you might need to digest some of that. You might need to think about that. You might need to ask some questions about that. And that is a good thing. That's a great thing to ask questions about that, to figure out, like, oh, where, where am I not fully getting that? Where does that not jive with me, right? Because this idea that lordship, repentance, baptism are, are all essential for salvation, it is becoming more common these days, but it's still not really uh, appreciated because we live in this world. Like, this stuff that we teach that's from a different kingdom, like, it's not always going to be endorsed. And I think if it gets endorsed, like, it just may give you some pause. It should give us a little pause. Think about why. Sometimes it gets endorsed and it's good. Sometimes, you know, not. So let's talk about this a little bit more. This is exciting. So don't be fooled, all right? And, and, this, and my, my third part of this, which is specifics about lordship, we're going to talk about at midweek. We're gonna, and, you're, and we're going to do like a personal audit. Like where can you put more of this lordship into your life, right? Either for the first time or just for the, for the sake of like, oh, this is where I it's not happening right here. But don't be fooled. We will not be saved through easy believism. And like, we might ask, where is the easy believism? Where does it start? And it starts in the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God gave Adam and Eve everything. They're in the garden. It's amazing. It's awesome. The God is there. The, the, everything is, you know, it's this lush garden. It's awesome. And, you know, and, th and this was this command that he gave them. It wasn't even like to oppress them. It was like, just don't do it or you'll die. I'm a, like, that's a, that's a pretty loving, you know, command. You would expect that from somebody that loves you, right? Like, don't do this. It's not good for you. It's bad, right? But, you know, here we go. Human nature, right? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God? And with one phrase and one question, did God really say they and we lost everything? We lost this access to God in that moment. We, we fell because we all, we all collectively ate that. If you just think that was just Adam and Eve, then maybe, like, look at sin study. I, you know, I don't know, but, like, we all collectively ate this, right? And with this suggestion, with the introduction of, did God really say, it was, it was torn apart. This, this awesome kingdom this awesome otherworldly kingdom. And I think that this question right here embodies the spirit of easy believism. It's the question of did God really say? 
Do you approach your Christianity with that question? Did God really say that though? Like, is it really that radical? Is it really that serious? Did God really mean it like that, right? And this is challenging to know when you're doing it, when you're not doing it, because we can be self-deceived. Indeed, I have been self-deceived. I'm still capable. We are all capable of it. But it's the approach. It's your approach to it that matters, right? Do you approach the Bible with a, with, and, and just your Christianity and your lordship with an attitude of, did God really say, like, what? Or is your approach, Jesus is Lord, let's figure this out. I want to do it. Let's figure this thing out. Let's, let's, let's go into this. You know, we can have these moments in our lives, right? Did God really say I need to repent and be baptized to be saved? I wrestle with that. If you wrestle with that, there's no shame in that. But wrestle, though. Wrestle. Think. Keep going. Keep going. Keep wrestling. Be Jacob. Wrestle till you get a blessing, Right? You know, sometimes they say, oh, did God really say, unless I forgive people, I won't be forgiven? Like, is it really that deep? Like, unless I forgive people, I won't be forgiven. Like, did he really say that? Did God really say that I should love my enemies and pray for them, like all my enemies? Or like, what, 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 what's like a real enemy versus a fake enemy, right? Did God really say that lusting is the equivalent to, to adultery? Like, did God really say that? Did God really say that I need to cut off whatever causes me to sin? Did God really say that I should share my faith with all nations, not just people that look like me, but with all nations? Like, did God really say that? Here's a caveat. I just want to say this. Not everything in the Bible is clear as the command to Adam, all right? Not everything is as clear. God said it. Adam got it, right? And we do have to make sure we approach the Bible with the best tools available to us to to approach it as we would any ancient uh, document that is still very relevant and alive today. But we have to do that with not a spirit of did God really say, but with a spirit of Jesus is Lord. And if you question, but if you question in a way that you're trying to figure things out, that's great. Like, I'm not trying to say don't ask questions about your Bible study. If any, like, ask questions about your Bible study. But the did God really say is looking to get a, how much can I get away with? and still, like, have this relationship with God. Does that make sense? All right, so it's about a spirit. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. It's a swag. It's like, it's like Jesus is my Lord, and I might look stupid sometimes, and maybe I didn't even need to do that, but I'm trying to be so far on this side of the thing. You know, I'm trying to, everything I do, I want to honor God with it. You know, you know for me, it's, what I wrestle with is, did God really say, that nothing I do without love matters. I put so much effort into what I do, uh, and I love what I do. But do I live my life knowing that none of it matters if I'm not loving? I can try to compensate for areas that I'm lacking by working hard. How many times have I bit that fruit? Right, And I could sacrifice love for hard work. Because I'm, I'm like, man, did God really say that this thing that I'm about to do doesn't matter if I don't love? Like that it actually doesn't matter at all. Like me preaching right now does not matter at all if I don't, have, if I don't love people. Right? Did God really say that? I've bitten that fruit. I've fallen in that way where I can think the work, is, the work saves me. Work's going to rescue me. I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to say, God, look at all these things I did. You know, I went to Spain. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, No. If you don't have love, it's meaningless. Your mission trip, congratulations, but it doesn't matter, right? If you didn't love people, it doesn't matter. 
right? Your sermon you did sounded good, doesn't matter. You don't love people, right? And I think that's my, that, that could be that struggle for me. But I want to share some good news with you guys. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 22, it says that what Adam did, Jesus undid. And we can find freedom out of our slavery if you would follow Jesus to it. Are you willing to follow Jesus to it? Not, and it's not just in the keep going, keep working hard. Yes, that is a part of it. But it's also like, do you even like think about rest when it comes to lordship? Like this idea of Sabbath? Like is Jesus lord of your rest? Like is Jesus lord of what you say yes to and what you say no to? Like everybody's on a spectrum. Some people, it's, it might be like your boundaries, boundaries have boundaries. And maybe you need to say yes a little bit more. Some people, it's like you say yes to too much, right? And you, you probably need to say no. And why do you say yes? And I bet a lot of all those yeses, it's not always because of Jesus. Let's be honest. You just don't want to make them mad. You don't want them to look at you different. But we got to filter even our yeses and our no through the lordship of Jesus. But do we talk about that? Do we talk about Jesus being lord of your, your mental health, like, and how your mental health affects your ability to follow Jesus, right? Like, where do you put the limit on this? And we don't talk about these transitions either, transitional lordship. Like, you might have made Jesus lord at campus or in teens or whatever, but did you make Jesus lord at the next chapter, right? Like, you were single, then you got married. Did you make Jesus lord when you got married? Okay, you didn't have kids, and then you had kids. Did you make Jesus Lord when you had kids, right? You had kids in the house. Your kids moved out. You're an empty nester. Is Jesus Lord of your empty nest, right? Like, we have to make Jesus Lord at each transitional point, right? And God's going to show you, amen, and God's going to show you where you didn't. And guess what? Welcome to being human. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Like, we're in it together, right? We're in it together, no one in here is perfect. You, we have all failed in applying lordship in some way in our lives. And some of us are dying because of it. Some of us are, are being robbed of the life that, we, that God has for us because we don't care about things like solitude. We don't care about things like silence. We don't care about things like, a, like Sabbath. I'm not saying a doctrinal Sabbath. I'm saying rest for your soul, right? And we, so we got to preach both. We got to be out here making disciples, serving, loving, pushing through discomfort. Like when your heart rate goes up on a treadmill. Lamisha thought she was having a heart attack. I said, that's normal. That's working out. That's what happens, right? And then, <laughs> so you're going to have to push. Sometimes you have to push. But you got to know when to stop, though. You got to know when to stop. And please do because it's going to hurt. You're going to hurt everybody if you don't know when to stop, right? And when you see me toxically leaking and doing all this other stuff, and I'm like, ah, yeah, like, you know, just some pay pat. Chill out, man. Take a break. Take a breather. You need some time with God, bro. You should take that. And imagine if we had a culture of that, where the church was the best place for us to learn about spiritual rest. That this could be the best place for us to learn about spiritual rest, have a culture of both winning the world and spiritual rest. You don't think that's good news right now for people out there? You come in this church, and we're going to have a culture of making sure you're taking care of your soul. You don't think they would appreciate that and people would love that? I know the teens are like, amen, because you guys get dogged by these exams and tests and grades and living up to all these standards. Imagine being in a place where it's like, hey, we got to make sure you're taking care of yourself. You're not just like, your teacher's master. Jesus is your master, first and foremost. And guess what? He wants to free you from everything else. All right? So I know I'm, I'm going over time here. I appreciate you guys listening.
but we can do this, guys, but we have to really be honest and look, where is Jesus not Lord? Where is Jesus not Lord? And as we apply the Lordship of Jesus, we're going to be much more practical during midweek. As we apply the Lordship of Jesus, we will find real, real freedom and eternity with God. Thank you, guys. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcasts.